All right, good morning, everybody. Hope that you're doing well today. Um, so yeah, I'm going to pray again real quick, if that's okay with everybody else, because if, if you're like me, you realize your own weakness, right? There is nothing that I can say in my power, in my flesh, that'll make anybody hear the Word of God, but my confidence is in His Word and His Word alone. So I want to pray for that, but I also want to invite you guys to pray for that as well, that for each of us, we just humble our hearts and our minds before Him, that He is exalted, and we're confident knowing that the Spirit is here and will speak to us, that God's Word will accomplish its purpose, and I'm excited for that today. So let's just pray one more time. You guys join me in prayer. So Lord Jesus, there's nothing that I can say or do that will make any difference in, in somebody else's life. Um, there's no words that I can give that will penetrate hearts and minds, Lord, but your word can do that. And we are confident knowing that your word will accomplish the purpose you set out for it, and so we just invite you to do that in our hearts today. Uh, pray most of all that you will be glorified, that we'll be humbled before you, and that your name will be lifted up um, today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to do the best I can with going through these slides, but sometimes I forget because I get excited. I should also confess that normally you guys have in your worship guides, I'm a little loud, um, fill in the blanks. I just didn't get it done this week, so there's no fill in blanks, but there's lots of room for you to write your notes yourself. Just means you're going to have to pay a little bit more attention, but that's good for all of us, and that's okay. So today we're going to look in Ephesians, in the first 14 verses of Ephesians, and we're going to discuss what it means to be in Christ. And my hope is that, in a sense, you'll walk away today saying, all he really did today was tell us the gospel. And if that's so, then that's a good thing. I also hope that you'll you know, walk away saying, like, okay, okay, we've, we've been in these first 14 verses for, this is the seventh week now. That's a long time for just 14 verses, and they've been so good. And I hope that you'll walk away saying, I think I'm starting to grasp my position in Christ because that's what we're looking at. And really, the first three, ver or three chapters of Ephesians is focusing on who we are in Christ. Um, so I hope that you walk away starting to get that, starting to grasp that. Um, but rest assured, too, like even if you're like, I think I'm getting there, there's probably somebody else that still needs to hear it some more, and they will. We're just going to keep coming back again and again and again every week until hopefully we all understand who we are in Christ and can give that away to others. But I think it's, there's still value, even in the seventh week, to stop and look at these first 14 verses. Um, in my, my silly mind, where I think of just analogies and pictures and stuff, I imagine it's like looking at a sunset. So, so our daughters, they've really picked up on these sunsets, and they, they see it, and they cannot help but to point out to mom and dad, like, look at the pretty sunset. And, you know, if you just kind of glance at it, you're like, oh, yeah, that's pretty, that's cool, and you move on with your life, because we're all busy, we have things going on. But if you stop and you look at that sunset and you notice the, the blues and the purples and the reds, yellows and oranges and all these vibrant colors, what it'll do is force you to stop and say, wow, our God is an amazing God that he painted that picture and he gave me the ability to see that and you can give him glory. And so I think it's a lot like looking at these 14 verses. If you're just like, oh yeah, my position's in Christ and you don't think much about it and you go on with your life. But if you stop and you look at the nuances of the phrases and look at different angles of all the words, you'll be able to stop and sit in that for a little bit and say, man, the fact that I am in Christ is amazing. And the fact that Jesus has done that on my behalf, praise and glory to his name. And so that's why it's worthwhile to spend seven weeks on just 14 verses. So this is our last week in this section, and I'm really excited um, to be able to take one more look at the sunset passage, so to speak, with you guys. It should be good. Now, before we get too far into things, I need to confess one other thing. I'm kind of a nerdy person. 
Um, I love to read. I'm an English teacher, so that makes me kind of boring and nerdy already. And so I just kind of focus on these sort of things. And so something that I want to talk about briefly before we get too far in the passage is prepositional phrases. And you all didn't see that coming, did you? Yeah, I got a thumbs up in the back. Prepositional phrases. You wouldn't expect that to be a part of Ephesians, and yet it is. And even if you don't get excited about prepositional phrases, I do. So I'm not going to give you like a big lesson. I'm not going to make you go all the way back to middle school English, even though I could, and that could be fun in its own own right, just for you guys to have to relive those wonderfully three years of your life. Um, But all you really need to know today about prepositional phrases is in the English language, they have two jobs, okay? A prepositional phrase, it does the job of an adjective, which means it's describing nouns and pronouns. I know, this is rough. It can also do the job of an adverb, meaning that it modifies or describes verbs, adjectives, and other adverbs, okay? So that's all the terminology you know. You just need to trust me, okay? But what you need to know is that this passage is full of prepositional phrases. And the phrase, in Christ, in him, that we're going to look at, those are prepositional phrases. And the reason they are important is because every spiritual blessing that is listed in this passage is possible only because of Jesus Christ, So they are modifying those blessings. They're saying, this blessing you have, that's because of him. And this thing that God is doing, it's because of him, not because of you. And that is a powerful thing to take note of. So even if you don't remember anything about prepositional phrases, just know that they're really, really important. The phrase, in Christ, it appears 13, I believe 13 times in these 14 verses, which is a lot. I'm going to go through, show them to you, and you're going to circle them in your Bible if you feel comfortable doing so. So it occurs 13 times there. In the book of Ephesians, this phrase occurs 36 times. And if you look at all of Paul's writings, the phrase in Christ and the different variations occurs 164 different times. So what that tells you is this phrase is incredibly important. And so it's pivotal for us to really understand what it means. So I want to point those out to you today. Um, So let's just read through the passage together, if my clicker will work. And I know it's hard to see on your screen, but I've highlighted those phrases. I'll point them out to you. If you have uh, a Bible you want to write in, or if you have that Ephesians journal, I would encourage you to circle or underline these, and there's a lot of them. So let's read the Word of God together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, is another one. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we are able to acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It's a lot of in hymns. In Christ Jesus. So in each of these prepositional phrases, again, all it is doing is telling us that any blessing we have is only possible in Jesus Christ. And so if there was a fill in the blank, there would be a place for you to write now, so you can do that on your own if you'd like. But truth number one that I'd like to give you is that every spiritual blessing, every good thing that is done either for us or to us as believers, happens through Christ alone. Now, it's a pretty obvious, simple statement, but it still needs to be stated Anything that is good that happens to us as believers, anything that is done for us on our behalf, happens through Jesus and Jesus alone. So you see, these little phrases are so important for us to understand. So to help us to to grasp what it means to be in Christ, we also need to understand what it means for us to be outside of Christ. Because in order for good news to be really good, you've got to understand the bad news as well. So each of us, no matter who we are, we are all born a son or daughter of Adam and Eve, so to speak, right? So they're the original parents. They were the ones who unfortunately allowed sin to enter into this world. You see, they lived a perfect life in the Garden of Eden. They had a perfect relationship with God. They were in right standing with him. And yet it was they who chose to eat the fruit, right? With the goal of acquiring knowledge and wisdom, right? Essentially of putting themselves in God's place. And so by doing so, through their disobedience, through their sin, sin then entered the world. And like a cancer, it has spread throughout all of creation and has brought death and sin to each of us. To put it another way, we are each in Adam. We are each in sin outside of Christ. If you look in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As, the, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. This is in 1 Corinthians 15. I was going to put all these slides of all these verses, but like Jerry, I'm going to give you a lot. That would have been like 40 slides. It would have taken a long time. So I didn't, so you're just going to take my word for it and write down the references yourself. But what does this passage mean? The opposite of being in Christ is being in Adam. And to be in Adam is to be a sinful person. Somebody who is only dust, and because of our sin, we are all deserving of death. Romans 5.12, it puts it this way, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So you and I, being children of Adam and Eve, being flesh, being in sin, 
We live for ourselves, and we deserve to be punished for that, right? We deserve eternal punishment for our sins. And so truth number two, it's hard for you to see back there, I understand, but it says, outside of Christ, we have nothing but sin, shame, loneliness, and a longing that nothing in this world will satisfy. Now, you don't have to write all that word for word. That's what I tell the middle schoolers. You can get the gist of it. But outside of Jesus Christ, we have nothing, right? The only thing that we have is our sin, our shame for our sin. We're lonely because we, we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we have this longing that there is nothing in this world will ever satisfy that place of longing in our hearts. That's who we are outside of Christ. See, outside of Christ, we are enemies of God. As we'll see in a couple of weeks in Ephesians 2, we are following the prince of the power of the air, i.e. Satan. You see, outside of Christ, our eternal destiny is absolutely bleak and stark. Outside of Christ, we will never find anything in this world to fill that void in our hearts. Outside of Christ, we remain unreconciled. See, we have nothing outside of Christ. But... Praise God that he has made a way for us to change this stark reality that is true for us. Praise God that we have the gospel that we are able to place faith in. And when we believe the gospel, when we have true saving faith that Jerry spoke about last week, our reality changes. We are no longer in Adam, but now we are in Christ. In Colossians 2, 9 and following, there's this beautiful picture of what it is that Jesus has done for us. It says, for in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, your heart, God made alive together with him, having forgiven given us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So when we have saving faith in the gospel and what Jesus Christ has done for us. As Romans 10 9 says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so this is the beautiful picture of the gospel. When you believe, your reality changes from sin and death to in Christ, in life. You're transformed from one who is in Adam to one who is in Christ. And all that you are in Christ is amazing. So remember that bleak, stark reality of who you are outside of Christ. Now let's look again through the passage of who we are in Christ, if my clicker will work. And it's going verse by verse. You are a faithful in Christ because he makes you faithful. Verse 3, you are blessed in Christ. Verse 4, you are chosen in Christ. Verse 5, you are predestined for adoption to himself as sons, as an heir, through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, you are blessed in the beloved, that is Jesus. Verse 7, you have redemption in Christ. Verse 7, again, you have redemption through his blood, not through your blood, not through your works. Verse 9, God's purpose for you is set forth in Christ. Verse 10, you are united to God in Christ. 11, you are given an inheritance in Christ. 12, you are able to hope in Christ. 
13, I misspelled it, you are able to believe the gospel of your salvation in Christ. Even English teachers are perfect. And verse 13, you are sealed with the Holy, uh, promised Holy Spirit in Christ. That's a lot that we are in Christ. Spiritual blessings, salvation, right relationship, all these things are because we are in Christ. And so truth number three, Jesus makes impossible things possible. He makes impossible things possible. It is impossible for any of us to have any of these spiritual blessings in ourselves, in our own efforts, in our flesh. It is not possible. But because of what Jesus has done, if we believe in him and we are in Christ, then all of these amazing spiritual blessings, all of these things that God does to us and for us is made possible by Jesus Christ. And who is this Christ that we're speaking of? Who are are we worshiping? I'm going to give you a bunch of passages. So again, write them down if you'd like, and you're just going to have to listen to to this beautiful picture of who Jesus is. So Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says that Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is Jesus. John 1 and following. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, with God, and the Word was God. So the Word is Jesus. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And further down, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. A couple more. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. And Hebrews 1, 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is who Jesus is. And certainly a lot more can be said of who he is all throughout scripture. But this is who we are in Christ. This is what it means to be in Christ. Jesus himself says in John chapter 6 that all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And then in John 10, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me, he is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. I and the Father are one. So once we are in Christ, we can never not be in Christ. Literally, no one can change the reality of who we are in Jesus Christ when we believe in him. So the question is, do you believe this? Because we've been sitting in this position in Christ for seven weeks now. Are you starting to get it? 
Is it starting to go from up here to in here? It takes a little bit of time if you're like me. But literally no one can change who you are in Christ Jesus. I mean, look again at who we are in Christ. Just quickly. In Christ we have been chosen. In Christ we have been adopted. In Christ we have redemption for our sins through his blood. In Christ we see and are able to believe in the mystery of his will that we sang about a few minutes ago. And this mystery is that the God of the universe would choose to redeem a sinful people for himself. In Christ, we have an internal, eternal inheritance. And in Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. See, as a believer, your position in Christ is forever. I want to give you a little analogy. It comes from Terry Mahan. I have to give credit where credit is due. So if you ever spent much time at Dover River Gorge, you probably have heard this little analogy. It's something that he would do every week whenever he kind of gave the gospel presentation. So what I have in my pocket, my wife gave it to me this morning so I didn't forget it because she's good at remembering things, is a quarter, okay? So I have this quarter. So you and I, we are like this quarter, right? We are covered with sin and shame. It's pretty dirty. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't even put it in my mouth, right? It's gross. You don't know where these things have been. So this is who we are. So imagine that you and I are this quarter, and we are covered both inside and out with sin. That's who we are outside of Christ. It is absolutely filthy. So anytime you look at it, it doesn't matter what angle, front, back, side, some crazy angle, it doesn't matter who you are, what do you guys see? A quarter, right? Thank you very much. We're speaking literally here. So yes, it is a quarter no matter what. And yet, what the gospel tells us when we believe in Jesus Christ is that we are imputed with his righteousness. We're given his righteousness. We see this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or in 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So when we are in Christ, when we believe in Jesus Christ, then what you have, my, my fist here, imagine, is us being in Christ. And so no matter what, when God looks at you, what does he see? He sees the righteousness of Christ that we have been given, right? He no longer sees that sin and shame, it is gone. It is washed away, we are clean, and now we are in Christ forever. So whenever God looks at us, he no longer sees that sin anymore. Instead, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Rachel reminded me of a question that's really helpful to ask that we had learned years ago in, in Redstone, Johnson City. And a helpful thing to, to help you see whether or not you're fully believing this is to ask the question, when God is looking at you, what, is, what, what does his face look like? So when God looks at you, is, is his face one that's kind of disappointed? Is he looking at you a little bit of, of anger maybe because of your sin? Maybe it's hopeful that someday you'll get better. Or when he looks at you, is he looking at you with complete and absolute love? Because that's who you are in Christ. And if you see anything other than a loving face from God the Father, then at some level you're, you're not believing in the gospel of Jesus. So when God looks at us, he sees us in Christ. When God looks at your spouse, if they're a believing spouse, he sees that they are in Christ. When God looks at your child, if they believe in Jesus Christ, he sees that they are righteous in Christ. When God looks at your neighbor or your coworker or some annoying person down the street who believes in God, what does he see? They are in Christ, right? They see the, God sees the righteousness of God. 
And so I was wondering like, how often we imagine each other looking at this way. How often do you look at other believers as being in Christ and having the righteousness of God? Because if, if God looks at them in this way, I wonder what it would look like if we were to look at and treat one another as being in Christ. So what does it mean to be in Christ? It means to be given the full righteousness of Christ and all these spiritual blessings that we have looked at. And this is a beautiful thing that should cause us to sing out, as Jerry has pointed out many times, to the praise of his glory, because that's what Paul is doing throughout this first chapter. He is telling you who you are in Christ, and you cannot help but to give God the glory for, for all of that, because he understands. And this is what he wants us to understand. So I, I sincerely hope by now, if you've been with us for, for seven weeks and going through these first 14 verses, as we've tried to drill it into our minds and into our hearts, I hope that you're starting to grasp what it means to be in Christ. But even if, again, if you're, you're grasping it, there may be somebody else that needs a little more time, and that's okay, because the reality is we're all pretty fickle people, right? It's easy for us to, to forget these truths and to truly grasp them. And I think it's pretty often that all of us at some level, at some point in our life, we may fall into this mindset of, of trying to work for God's love and forgiveness because that's an easy thing to do. I think it's something a lot of people in the church struggle with or the American South struggles with a lot um, in this area, that no matter how much we understand these truths, no matter how much we may be excited about them today that we are in Christ, it can be really easy for us to fall into the trap of trying to work for God's love and forgiveness instead of resting in Christ. I know this is... This is an area that I struggle with pretty often, uh, pretty easily, that I identify with. I see this played out in my relationship with God, and I see it played out in my relationship with others as well. Because you see, I'm a really big people pleaser. I like for there to be peace in my relationships. I don't like to rock the boat. Even just thinking that somebody else might not be happy with me gives me a stomachache, right? It's embarrassing. It makes my stomach hurt. If somebody else, I think, might be upset with me if there's some conflict, and so if I do something in my relationship with Rachel where I know I'm at fault and I shouldn't have, whatever it may be, I'm going to work really hard to make sure she still loves me, right? I'm going to find a way to make it up to her. If I do that with Jerry or a relationship with somebody else, or if I like set some bar for myself and I don't meet it, I'm going to work really hard to make sure that I meet that expectation for myself the next time. And it doesn't even have to be in sin and in messing up. It can also come from trying to do really good christian kind of things, and so this is a lot of times how I played out in my relationship with God is I do a lot of really good things and I work really hard to try to, to do those things and I fall into the trap of trying to do that for God's love and forgiveness for me to make sure that I'm, I'm doing those right things. And certainly we want to do those right things, right? It's not bad to do them. But I think the, the difference is, is that if I am doing it for something, if I'm doing it for the love and forgiveness of Jesus rather than out of something, out of the reality that Jesus has already done it for me, out of the reality that I'm already in Christ, then at some level I'm sinning and not fully believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ for me. So if I'm doing the right things for something rather than out of something, I'm missing it a little bit. At some level I'm not fully trusting in and believing the gospel. If you look in John chapter 15, there's this beautiful um, passage where Jesus talks about how um, the, the vine and the branches, right? And how we are in him, where he is the vine and believers are the branches. And he says very simply, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, 
Neither can you unless you abide in me. You see, we can do nothing good outside of Jesus Christ. We cannot work for God's love and his forgiveness. Instead, we are to abide in Christ, and through him, he will bear good fruit in us. You can also consider your relationship with Jesus this way. God's word says in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Isn't that a beautiful reality of who we are in Christ? We are a new creation, brand new. We have this new life. The old sinful life and dead, they are no more. They are gone. We have a new life in Christ. We are this new creation. But when we fall into this trap of trying to work for God's love and forgiveness, for trying to work in that relationship, it's like we're trying to pick up that old life and put it back on and, oops, and live in that reality. But you can't do it, so don't try to do it. Don't try to live in that old life. Don't fall back into that, but walk in the newness of the life that Jesus Christ has given to you. I'm going to keep giving you scripture. I told you I'm going to give you a lot of it, and I'm not apologizing. So we're looking at Romans 6. Paul, he puts it this way. Romans 6, 1 and following. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sinning um, that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all. That the life he gives, he lives, or he lives, he lives to God. So now you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, 1 through 11. Now I know that's a longer passage and it's harder to kind of listen through those. But did you catch what Paul was saying there? Did you catch what he's saying? We no longer have to live that old life anymore. We no longer have to fall into this trap of trying to work to be righteous, to, to work to be good, because Jesus has done it all for us. So we shouldn't follow that trap anymore. We are new, we are in Christ, and you don't have to work for that love anymore. He has already done that for you by dying on the cross for you. So last week, Jerry mentioned um, a book titled Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. And so you know if both of us are recommending this book more than one week in a row, it's probably a good book. So if you're willing to spend a little money on a book, if you're willing to be nerdy and read like me, I highly encourage this book. And so this is just this fantastic book, and, and what it's really done for me, it's, it's forced me to slow down and read one chapter at a time, and it's helped me to, to see what Jesus has done for me and who he is for me. And it's just this beautiful thing. So even though I've read a lot of passages to you, I still want to read a few quick things from this book, if you guys will let me. So uh, Dane Orland, he says, Time and again, it is the morally disgusting, the socially reviled, the inexcusable and undeserving, who do not simply receive Christ's mercy, but to whom Christ most naturally gravitates. He is, by his enemy's testimony, 
the friend of sinners. So those that are outside of Christ, that's who we are outside of Christ. We are morally disgusting and inexcusable and undeserving. That's who we are outside of Jesus, and yet he gravitates to us. That's the entire reason that he came, is for people like that. Elsewhere he says, that he, Jesus, does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon, with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. It's what he came to heal. He went down into the horror of death and plunged out through the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. And one more, he also says, it is the most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity that we are declared right with God not once we begin to get our act together, but once we collapse into honest acknowledgement that we never will. We will never get there in this life on our own. You don't have to work for God's love and forgiveness. Jesus has already done that for you. And even if you fall short as a believer time and time again, Jesus is compelled to open his arms up to you just like he opened them on the cross for your sin and shame. He is still opening his arms up for you and he will take you in and accept you no matter what. So I want you to have that image of Jesus in your mind. That was kind of a life-changing perspective for me. Like I feel like I understand the gospel at a pretty good level, but to read that even though I continue to fall short and continue to sin, Jesus still has arms like this for me and he will continue to take me in no matter what. So if you get nothing else from today, if, if you walked with us through these 14, 14 verses week after week, my prayer is that you will begin to grasp what it means to be in Christ. My prayer is that you'll finally, truly begin to understand your position in Christ Jesus. And that's also Paul's prayer. We're going to look at a passage together next week where he's giving thanksgiving and he's praying. He's praying the same thing for the church in Ephesus. He's praying the same thing for us, that we will begin to fully understand and know at a deep, intimate level who we are in Christ Jesus and what he has done for us and the fact that our position in him is sure forever. We can, with full confidence, draw near in faith to God because of what Christ Jesus has done. So I know I've gone kind of fast today. I I just get excited. I can't help myself. But I want to read one more passage of Scripture for us as we kind of start to close, and then we're going to just sit in it for a minute or two. Because I've given a lot of words, but it takes a little bit to let it just ruminate. So I'm going to read one more passage. I think that Christ followers should ultimately have two primary responses today. And I think our responses should be both rest and praise. Just want to encourage you guys to do. Psalm 62, 1 through 8 tells us, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. And David says, How long will all of you attack a man to batter him, like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. 
my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before God. God is a refuge for us. So if you are a believer, then like David, your heart can rest knowing that you are in Christ. You can rest. If you're someone that knows that they haven't believed in Jesus, that maybe you've spent your life trying to be good enough, but deep down you know that you're not good enough, then stop trying to be because you're never going to get there. Instead, you can believe in Christ Jesus and choose to trust him for your salvation. He offers it freely. He's compelled to open his arms wide to any that would come to him. So salvation, it belongs to the Lord. And today is the day of salvation. If you only believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ Jesus is Lord. So I think our first response, especially as believers, should be to rest. And then, of course, our second response should be to praise. To the praise of his glory. That's what Paul says over and over and over again. That's what we've been saying week after week after week. See, the more that you understand who you are in Christ Jesus, the more you cannot help but to open your mouth and sing praises. The more you cannot help but to open your mouth and to speak the name of Jesus to other people. To the praise of his glory. So what I want to do, because I've spouted a lot of words really quickly, is to ask all of us to just sit in silence for just a couple minutes and to really meditate on who we are in Christ. If it's helpful, look back through those verses at who we are in Christ Jesus and all the spiritual blessings we have in him. So I want to sit in that, and then I'll pray for us, and then we're going to step into a time of communion together because it's a beautiful picture of what Christ has done.